You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. We are so excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, is a new sponsor to the show. 2020 was obviously very hard, but podcasting wasn't thanks to Zencaster. We had to keep recording our season, but now we had to do it remotely. I might say I'm confident in Photoshop all the time, but I am no audio engineer, and Zencaster has made our lives easier during a pretty stressful time. They provide a crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. And we love that it records separate audio and video tracks for our guests and us. Plus, it's super easy for guests to use. We just send them a link and we're ready to record. There's a secured cloud backup, so you never lose your recordings, thank God. And did we mention it's super easy to use and there is nothing to download? Go to zen.ai slash oldmillennialspod and get 30% off your first three months with a pro account. That's z-e-n dot a-i slash o-l-d-m-i-l-l-e-n-n-i-a-l-s-p-o-d and get 30% off your first three months of a pro account. Bye. Bye. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Old Millennials, a deep dive on shallow topics from the 90s and early 2000s. I am one of your hosts, Margot Poupard. And I am your other host, Emily Bejen. Emily, I only have one question. Can you name the five greatest rappers of all time. You know, it doesn't even really matter because the only answer due to the topic of our episode is Dylon, 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 because I spit hot fire. I'm so sorry to dip into a Chet Hayes accent there. I didn't mean to trigger anybody. But if you know what we are talking about, you know that we are talking about making the band. Honestly, it's kind of a shame kids these days will never know or appreciate the pure chaos that was Diddy in the early 2000s. We salute Sean Puff P. Diddy Combs for being the original meddling producer archetype that we know and love today. I This man had a stronghold on MTV for a five-year period when it comes to reality television that has been, I don't think has ever been matched. I mean, I forgot about making the band and its number of seasons and I want to work for Diddy. Like there was just, I mean, the man practically owned MTV at one point. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's just like people forget that Kathy Griffin was huge on Bravo in the early 2000s. You're just like, what? And I I watched a really interesting YouTube video, which I'm not about to tell you a Q theory. Like, don't worry. I know that's also triggering (laughs) language that I don't mean to use, but it was a retrospective on this on the the band making the band season of making the band, uh, talking about Diddy's career, where it was at before he took over making the band. We'll get into all of that in a second. And basically saying that, like, he was in sort of like a low point in his career, really, because him and J-Lo had just broken up. He, yeah. He had a gospel record that was supposed to come out and that fell through. And the then nightclub left, shooting. The nightclub shooting. Then he left Arista Records and then fully mm. became the CEO of Bad Boy. And that's when he kind of came around to this project, which I find to be very interesting. But I think you and I both know, by far and away, the best part of making the band is not 
the groundbreaking style of mixing the real world with competition reality TV. No, it's the iconic Dave Chappelle sketch, which if you haven't seen in a while, please stop working <laughs> right now and take yourself over to YouTube immediately. Honestly, I still have the Dave Chappelle box set for that sketch in particular. Oh, that, that and the real world one are literally perfect sketches. So perfect. Oh my so God. Before, we get into all of this, though. Emily, what is what memories do you have? What's your experience with making the band when it aired or if you followed followed along with it while it was airing in real time? Oh, absolutely. OK, so definitely watched the entire kind of ABC iteration of it with O-Town because it was a part of the TGIF lineup. So I mm-hmm. was very into that and then definitely uh, paid attention um, and watched a few seasons of the DeBand iteration. By the time Danity Kane rolled around, I think I watched an episode here and there, but like there had been so many other reality shows on TV at that point that like my focus quite wasn't there anymore. What about you? I watched O-Town on ABC, although I had completely forgotten it was on ABC first. And then I watched all of – I was quite obsessed with when it moved over to MTV because they moved O-Town over – for its second and third season. And that's mm-hmm. maybe kind of where I picked it up. And it was also around that same time that they were doing the like number two together, like spoof boy band movie. So they were having yes. like a moment, right? With for boy sure. band. And so I kind of feel like it was very easy for me to slide right on with making the band. And then when it moved on to Diddy, that also kind of felt like a natural progression. And I think because I hadn't really seen anything like this before, I was immediately hooked. And so I followed all of the band. And then I was, I loved Danity Kane. I loved the putting together of a girl group. Like, I think that yes. must be my favorite season. Like, I think I love to band or have like an affinity for it, obviously because of like the Chappelle connection. And it just, the two things are kind of so ingrained in my mind because those, all of those band members were in the Chappelle sketch, which kind of like added to the kind of surreal, hilarious uh, insanity of it all. But I really love Danity Kane. And as Sean likes to remind me all of the time, uh, Aubrey O'Day went to his rival high school and like dated one of his friends in high school. And I was always like, oh my God, how was she? He's like, she was fine. Like, I don't know what you want me to tell you. And I ask every couple of years when he reminds me, especially when all of that like Trump Jr. shit came out. I was like, did you ever think she would do this kind of thing when you knew her in high school? He's like, I didn't really know her in high school in that way. way." And also, (laughs) like, I guess, yes. Like, I don't know. Anyway, so I, I, I love Eddie Kane. And then I have followed like Don Don's side projects, the like two blonde side projects. So Danny mm-hmm. Kane had like a long tail for me. I don't know why, but I was very into them. And, you know, Dream, as we've talked about, too. Well, and what's interesting about Danny D. Kane and what I was reminded of as I'm looking through like content comments on YouTube videos, I watched a lot of like, you know, what happened to Danny D. Kane, like behind the scenes videos and doing research. It's just like, People pointed out they were very quick to be compared to Pussycat Dolls because of the way they were um, packaged and looked, but ultimately were significantly more talented. I mean, yeah, Pussycat Dolls was just Nicole Scherzinger and then mm-hmm. four other chicks. Like it was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and no, then seriously. here, DK, everybody got featured, which I totally forgot. Like they would get each get their own verses. They shared singing duties. It was by no means a, here's one chick. And then the rest of them are going to kind of be backup dancers. There was like equal parts talent in this group. And I really appreciate that um, as I was kind of revisiting Danity Kane. Yeah, I also felt like when Danity Kane season came around that was an unexpected tongue twister what I also like that they blended into all of this was like sort of an America's Next Top Model angle where they kind of gave them all makeovers and they gave them personalities and you and I talked about that when we were coming up with the script idea that we worked on about how like they give them like these archetypes and really the first time I saw somebody call it out was on this making the band and you know I've always been fascinated with like the process and the behind the scenes of it all so I was yeah, very into it. And I love the fact that they were all good singers and that they fought for parts and that it wasn't like you said, you know, Aubrey O'Day and four backup dancers are like Shannon and the other ones or whatever. You know what I mean? For sure. For sure. And actually, Aubrey wasn't even I would say like it, Dawn was like the best singer out of all of them. She was, but it was a tight race. 
I mean, Aubrey really gets to be the standout on that show because of her conflicts with Diddy, ultimately. Like, she's fantastic. (laughs) But really, that's what will, like, get her to be kind of the standout of the series. And then, like, her subsequent things, you know, that happen in her career afterwards. Of Yeah. Things that happen in her career afterwards is a very (laughs) cool way of putting it. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. (laughs) All right. So let's get into the history of making the band. Before The Bachelor, the first reality show on ABC was making the band, a fact that I had totally forgotten. At this time, it was the start of reality TV. No one knew it would last or what it would turn into. But Who Wants to Be a Millionaire apparently changed everything because it became the highest rated non-scripted show and then was quickly followed up by Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire where two strangers got married on live TV in front of millions. So Making the Band was created originally by the geniuses behind the real world, which explains how they blended these real world tropes uh, of making strangers live together and then mixed in the music, which was just an incredible move. Beyond Survivor, though, this was probably the only second quote unquote competitive reality show and really kind of set the groundwork for stuff to come like America's Next Top Model, which is kind of not really an accident because the original idea for the show started at MTV where Ken Mock, who would go on to create America's Next Top Model with our favorite unhinged host, Tyra Banks, was leading MTV Productions at the time and then sold the show to ABC. Then Bunham and Murray had a track record of really successful reality TV were brought in to produce it. John Murray, one half of Bunham and Murray, obviously, and I cannot emphasize enough how much I wanted to be these two powerhouse producers and still do. They have created some of the best and most real reality TV of all time. I mean, I I don't mean to totally sidetrack, but even Real World Homecoming is giving it to me in the first episode. They still got it, baby. Still got it. I mean, there's a reason why they're still around. Right? Like, this is why they are legends and culture tastemakers. Anyway, John Murray has a background in journalism and documentary. And in his partnership with Bunham, who'd come from soap operas, they kind of blended their two skill sets together. And that's how they ended up finding their new show, too, was the framework, at least, had already existed that we're going to do like a competition style music show. But then they came in with their kind of soap opera and docu-series, for lack of a better term, background and kind of together came making the band. And then enter Lou Pearlman. A quote from John Murray. Lou Pearlman had been hugely successful with Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and seemed to have this formula for how you create a boy band. And he had this operation in Orlando called Transcontinental Records all set up. So as a producer, I'm going, great. There's this world that's already created. It's an authentic world. And then there's a formula, the process of a boot camp, which is where they were going to start filming. While the format was a competition, technically, it was all still filmed documentary style. And when you go back and read old reviews of the premiere of this show, it's not even like referred to as a reality show. They call it like a docu-series or a behind-the-scenes look, which I found to be really interesting. So they followed people as they went through this process, aka this boot camp, of being tested and trained to be part of a boy band. And it was more real world than like Survivor or even later on American Idol. Quote, where he might be looking at the voices, talking about Perlman, we were looking at these people as personalities and their backstory, John Murray has said. How are we going to be, how are they going to be interesting characters? What personal story do you bring to all of this? We also found it was very important to have some diversity in casting. We and also ABC felt that that was important. While there was like some geographic and racial diversity, there was not really a ton of diversity in sexuality because if you compare this to real world, they had diversity in sexuality by casting gay men, lesbians, bisexuals, and they also had the same first sex wedding and first HIV positive cast member. Making the band obviously did not because boy bands, of course, were very, very straight. Even if NSYNC did have a gay member in Lance Bass, he didn't even come out till 2006. Murray has said that while casting the group they'd have, that would eventually become O-Town, quote, we were very open to having somebody from the LGBTQ community, end quote. <laughs> There's nothing else there. <laughs> while he said <laughs> there may have been a gay or bisexual man in the group of people who were considered, quote, we weren't going out to someone and being like, hey, are you out right now? Sort of just like looking to see them for who they were. So how did making the band become part of ABC's TGIF. At the time in 99 and 2000, boy bands were at their height. And so that was enough motivation to get the series onto TGIF. Quote, to be able to go behind the scenes and see a boy band come together and tell that story, that would be very appealing to the TGIF audience, John Murray has said. He goes on to say there would be stories of potential romance and complications for the guys as they begin to get fame. So these stories do resonate with younger viewers. 
though not a larger audience, because season two would end up being pulled from ABC to go to MTV. At the time, EW reported that it averaged a meager 4.7 million viewers after only two outings in April, which is the reason why ABC pulled it, which is crazy because nobody... That would be a success today. Nobody gets 4.7 million anymore. But I guess at at its peak in its premiere episode, they pulled in 7 million viewers. So that was what they were trying to kind of maintain over time, but it didn't do that. But again, even 7 million, I'm like trying to wrap my mind around 7 million people watching the same show all at the same time. Like you try to get 5,000 people to watch like a anticipated season finale on HBO Max and the whole thing fucking crashes to the ground. So I just find that to just be just, I don't know, harder to fathom now. (laughs) Executive producer Ken Mock told EW, viewership is not that great, but it's still a demographic bullseye. We have a strong core of teens. So O-Town... The first iteration of Making the Band started on March 24th in 2000 and aired for three seasons, finishing on March 30th of 2002. It centered on the group O-Town, and when its first season aired on ABC, it was its last new series and the only series that wasn't a sitcom to run during the original TGIF block. The block ended its run upon the end of the... Upon the end of the first series finale in 2000, Making the Band then moved over to cable television MTV for two additional seasons would air after O-Town's return for additional seasons marked the first time that the main cast of a reality show returned for a second season which I found to be very interesting because like you look at contemporary reality TV shows now and it's like main cast returns all the fucking time all like, it's on all day it, sometimes it's, it's all a rating sweep yeah yeah so very interesting that like O-Town coming back for a second season on MTV is the first time a main cast of a reality show came back because I guess before that, you're cycling through people like on a Survivor or an American Idol, yeah. on um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire, so a Joe Millionaire. Pre, like, pre-real world road rules challenge, like, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But even real world road rules, road rules challenge would mix up casts, so it wouldn't really be even like a core cast reuniting for that either. That's true. That's true. As we've talked about on our boy band episode from our first season, in 1999, Lou Pearlman, the man responsible for the formation of Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, embarked on a nationwide talent search, cutting auditions in eight cities down from 25 young men to eventually eight finalists. And then these eight young men would compete for five spots in Pearlman's newest band creation to be signed to his sketchy fucking record label, Transcontinental Records. The season followed the competition between the men in a very typical reality show fashion. The first episode, a group of guys was selected. They featured choreography by Ramon Del Barrio. And then later, they narrowed it down to 25 semifinalists, eliminating Paul Martin, Mike Miller, and Brian Chan, leaving our core five, Ashley Parker Angel, Jacob Underwood, Eric Michael Estrada, not to be confused with actor Eric Estrada, <laughs> Trevor Pennick, and Ike. Ikea. Oh, Ikea. Ikaika? Ikaika. Mm-hmm. Kahano? Yes. Okay. He's from Hawaii. Well, we will get into that in one sec. <laughs> These five <laughs> were set to become O-Town, and in the process of producing their first CD, Kahano left for reasons that weren't exactly clear, which were stated that he was, quote, called back to Hawaii. Later, he would say that he, quote, did not respect the other members of the, of the group and wanted to <laughs> leave on and wanted to leave for more than personal reasons and described these experiences, quote unquote, whack. He later joined a making the band a semifinalist Mike Miller and Brian Chan to form boy band LMNT, which I vaguely remember. They probably had one song and then never hey, worked Juliet. again. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. That's a CVS banger, right? <laughs> I think so. I think got, so. Gots to be. Yes. So they went back to the well of the original 25 semifinalists, and the remaining four chose Dan Miller to be his replacement. With the final member of Oton in place, the remainder of the first season tracked the development and struggles of the new band. And now on to you with the further O-Town thoughts and feelings. Because I totally messed up this order, I swear. I thought that O-Town came last and the band came first. And so Emily and I are splitting up O-Town's rise and demise, if you will. (laughs) Well, after season one, Clive Davis will sign O-Town to J Records and their first release was released on January 23rd, 2001 on J Records. Um, It's called self-titled O-Town. Um, it was also released in relation in uh, conjunction with Transcontinental Records and BMG, debuted at number five on the Billboard 200 chart, and then sold more than three million copies worldwide. 
first single was Liquid Dreams, which peaked at number 10. And then in late spring of 2001, their follow-up single, All or Nothing, became a big hit. In fact, their biggest hit of their career as a group. And it went on to number three in the Hot 100. And later that year, they would open for Britney Spears' Dream Within a Dream tour in the U.S. Their journey and struggles as a group would be chronicled on the second and third seasons of Making the Band, which I had totally forgotten about was split into separate seasons, but it showed the group touring, performing, recording their second CD, O2, their transition to a new record label, and an ongoing struggle to prove themselves as legitimate artists by writing their own music, trying to gain the respect of their peers in the industry. O2 would be released on November 11th, 2002, and for context, Remember, this is November of 2002, a week prior to the album's release, Justin Timberlake released Justified, and a day later, Missy Elliott would release Under Construction. Boy Whoa. bands were, yes, boy bands were out, and O-Town was lucky to have sold half a million of this follow-up. Seriously. <laughs> oh, my I, like, God. Even that, I was shocked. I'm like, there are albums <laughs> nowadays are considered successes if they sell half a million, and back then, right. they were just like, this is done. But at that point, a year later, in November of 2003, J Records would drop O-Town, and then the band would go on to break up. The members of O-Town would move on to solo careers, most notably Ashley Parker Angel, who was signed to Universal's Black Gown Records, and then later had his own reality show on MTV that was called There and Back, which chronicled his life um, as a struggling musician um, with uh, having gotten engaged to his girlfriend and having a son and just trying to make it. Um, he would release his uh, solo album, Soundtrack to Your Life, in 2006, and has gone on to do a lot of work on Broadway, including playing Link Larkin on Hairspray and later Fierro in Wicked. Uh, Trevor Pennick uh, would sign on to Mach 1 Music uh, and performed as Trey Scott, which is an interesting name. Uh, and now he does a lot of stand-up comedy. Uh, Eric Michael Estrada, not Eric Estrada, would stay in the music business as a songwriter. And then Jacob uh, would Underwood would go on uh, to start his own country band, Jacob's Lock. In 2011, O-Town would confirm their reunion plans. And then four days later, Ashley Parker and Angel felt the need to release a statement to TMZ that he would not be returning with the band because he felt that his time was over. Uh, he said, quote, O-Town was one of the greatest chapters of my life. So when the idea of reunion was brought to me, of course, I was intrigued. However, I have made the decision not to be a part of an O-Town reunion. It was a difficult decision, but ultimately necessary to move on with my next chapter of my career. Over time, O-Town as a foursome would release a song of theirs called Skydive on SoundCloud and then later release the album Lines in Circles in 2014. In 2017, they premiered a new single called Empty Space and then released a new EP. They would go on to tour as part of the I Love the 90s uh, or excuse me, the Pop 2000 tour with Tyler Hilton, Aaron Carter, Ryan Cabrera, ding, 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 and Lance Bass, who attended Ryan Cabrera's recent wedding. Um, I feel like we could just have an episode about Ryan Cabrera's wedding and who I, attended. Oh like my that. God. Yes. I, it, the, as more details come out, the more I am like befuddled. I don't even know betwixt. I, know. Like, I, I can't. But it's yes, wild. I, we really do need about 83 minutes to unpack all of the details. And why was my girl Sarah Michelle Geller there? I'll never who understand. Knows? Who knows? The Prince family was there in attendance. Uh, in 2019, O-Town filed or planned to file a trademark for their band name, which Universal Music Group tried to sue them for because they believed it was too similar to Motown Records, which oh, Motown God. Records was owned at that point by Universal Music Group. So yes. Um, and then later in 2019, they would release the O-Town album spelled O-T-W-N, though not clear if that's because they wanted to avoid a lawsuit or if they wanted to signify Ashley Parker Angel no longer being in the group and their new reincarnation as a foursome. But they are touring at the moment. And uh, if you want to catch them in Reno, Margot, you sure can because they will be performing... <laughs> On uh, June 10th, actually. Well, I'll be in Portland, so unfortunately that won't work out. But they've got a few tours. They're playing House of Blues in Cleveland. 
They're playing a few summer festivals. Um, you can see them at the City Winery in New York City in September. So I don't know. You know, they're they're doing all right. They're they're struggling on how to use Squarespace, and that's okay according to their website. But as we discovered, or as you pointed me in the right direction of Ashley Parker Angels' Instagram, is something to say the least. Where the he thirstiest has lot- place <laughs> on earth is Ashley Parker Angels' Instagram. There's- My goodness. Maybe one, maybe one photo where he has a blouse on. Every other picture, he is blouseless or pant or shirtless, pantsless. Yeah. He just is never wearing clothes. And I get it. He looks great. But he looks fantastic. It's it's sort of a lot. No, it's a lot. It's a lot. I'm, I'm sure people are happy about it somewhere. Somewhere. Um, I do appreciate his commitment to posting Throwback Thursday content yeah. and then tagging Ja Rule on magazine covers. That he- <laughs> so- Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. It's like, that's like a Vin Diesel behavior. Like, it's oh, such a, sure. a wild move. Like, for sure. <laughs> is busy still being sued for, like, Firefest? okay? Yeah, like, he's got other shit alone. going on. He's not trying to talk to you about an old YM issue, he, okay? He doesn't need that notification in a courtroom right now, baby. Like... <laughs> let his lawyers handle things like leave him alone it's just it's so crazy (laughs) to me but some of his throwback thursdays are fun but some of them you know it's not it's not great (laughs) no no but look if they were to show up in the bay area i feel like you me zoe and a couple of drinks would just have a grand old time probably yell at them to sing their same like three songs over again which would annoy the piss out of them but like it would be a fun night yeah it depends on the price point you know like i if it's like under 40 dollars, like sure oh, yeah, sure, okay. sure. <laughs> yeah we're not i want money for alcohol so we're not paying <laughs> over 40 dollars. you know everybody has their their limit right it's sort of like <laughs> what our our real estate agent told us is like i love it for this price and i hate it at this price and like i <laughs> Hated over forty dollars, <laughs> and also that place are not like wherever they play. I have a feeling it better not have a two drink minimum because also I do not abide. I don't like the pressure. Either like no drink minimum or it can't be in Concord. Like that's all you know. What I mean? <laughs> Those are our demands <laughs> that will go unnoticed and unregarded. <laughs> Stupid. Oh boy. And that's really it. I all I have to say about O Town. Okay, well, let's talk about the band, better known as Making the Band Two. Which, yeah, the way that they, <laughs> the way that it's laid out is very interesting because you're like, oh, this must have been season two. It's like, no, silly goose. Making the Band had three seasons. Then we had Making the Band Two, totally different band. Then that would have its own seasons. Then Danny Kane, that's its own. That's its own making the band number, and then it has its own seasons. You all should see our text conversations right now because I am just like, I was so confused, and you're just like, it's okay. It's very confusing. (laughs) I didn't know I had to do math here. I did not get into (laughs) podcasting to do math, all right? I know you you did. I know you (laughs) did, but I didn't. I didn't sign up. You're my... You're my Alan Turing or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm your imitation game. (laughs) We're doing great. Okay, but back to making the band two. Started October 19th, 2002 and aired for three seasons under making the band two. And it finished in April of 2004. And it centered around the musical group, Da Band. And it was filmed in Manhattan. 
In 2002, a talent search started, this time headed up by Diddy. He sought to found the he sought out to find the best rappers and singers to assemble a new sort of like hip-hop group. Initially, 40,000 people tried out for the group. After weeks of selection and um, big old irony air quotes around industry training, P. Diddy chose the members of the band who would go on to be Sarah Stokes, Dylon, Freddie P, Choppa, Ness, and Babs. For weeks, the contestants lived together and were subjected to tasks, including the iconic walk from Midtown Manhattan to Brooklyn to get chi- to get cheesecake for Diddy twice, <laughs> twice because they dropped the first one. I I legit screamed when I saw them drop it. I was like, no, guys, come on. <laughs> when I rewatched it today, obviously. And I'll, I'm probably in 2002 or whatever when I first saw it. I love um, these little challenges. Like, I, I forgot that Please that put was, air like, quotes around challenges. I this is not a challenge. I bet you, though, like, Diddy saw this as, like, his Mr. Miyagi wax on, wax off moment. Like, at one point, he would just yell cheesecake during a dance routine. <laughs> they would just, oh. like know what to do they would totally i mean i feel like they would have ptsd because i (laughs) think the i think to add insult to injury by the time they got back at like four o'clock in the morning diddy wasn't even there and they're like (laughs) obviously this cheesecake moment was what was spoofed perfectly by pre-douchebag Chappelle as the sugar cookie moment which is just it is so spot on it is it is even funnier anyway He also made them recite B.I.G.'s Juicy or the Sugar Hill Gang's Rapper's Delight out loud in the Bad Boy Record offices. (laughs) And also because, you know, this is a a variation on real world, there were many altercations between members, mostly everybody versus Dylon, who was by and large considered useless, and Freddie versus Ness, to just name a few. The finalists were eventually named a band, and their debut album, Too Hot for TV, was released in September of 2003. Their first single, Bad Boy This, Bad Boy That, and then they had a second one called Tonight. The album was certified gold, selling 600,000 copies, and the music video for Bad Boy This and Bad Boy That obviously had to star early aught staple Fonzworth Bentley. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Remember when that man – everyone knew that man's name. I don't think they're like – if you tried to tell a bunch of Gen Zers like who Farnsworth Bentley was, like I don't know how it would go. I mean, maybe – I would say like one in 65 might know what the fuck we're talking about. But maybe, that's fair. And, and that's generous, right? I mean, he's such a – he was such a pop culture – background player that then promptly fell off the face of the earth and i'm sure i could do one google and have the answer and so i'm not but i I just really i don't know what happened like i guess those people stopped making music videos and so we stopped being in them and maybe it was just like a natural progression but also worth noting is bad boy this bad boy that had a baseball theme and that was around (laughs) the time where i don't know there i feel like there are a couple of baseball themed music videos for some reason in the early 2000s that summer catch effect yeah i feel like yeah that was a big one at one point and i'm trying to remember which ones but you're absolutely right it was definitely a theme so demand effectively ended their career at the end of the third season of the show when p diddy just dissolved the group in the season finale he just said no this ain't working for me and then said y'all not a band anymore however he still wanted to work with babs and ness he called them hip-hop's next bonnie and clyde except like most bad boy ventures it never saw the light of day Babs went on to promote the underground rap battle Queen of the Ring, which is featured on YouTube. It's female rap battles. It's pretty good. has a huge following. And Ness was able to release a song called My Hood under the name Ness. Diddy also kept Choppa, now known as Young City, with the label who signed with Bad Boy South, which is like a different division that doesn't exist anymore. Sarah Stokes, Freddie, and Dylan, or excuse me, Freddie Stokes, Sarah Stokes, Freddie, and Dylon were the remaining three members of the band to be dropped completely from Bad Boy. They would go on to have varying degrees of careers that were it's dark you guys i i looked it up and it's dark and i don't really want to get into it if you really want to know you can stuff happened as recent as last year since people in during quarantine and lockdown were revisiting old making band episodes and similar to how america's next top model kind of got like a renaissance if you will or a reckoning to just sort of being like what the fuck was all of this that you guys were doing in 2003 so did some of diddy's um interesting quote-unquote industry um training he was giving them was kind of brought to light and then that's when like freddie kind of came out and talked about his negative experience in addition to i believe also um chopper didn't have a great time although maybe he but 
I don't know. I think everybody supports Freddie and not having a great time because I don't think that they were well supported by Bad Boy after the fact. Like they were kind of set up to fail, which is sort of kind of what's come to light um, in recent years about these old reality shows. It's like Top Model, uh, American Idol. It's like some of these contracts suck. They kind of like hold your music hostage. Like it's the same old story that we've explored multiple times on the show. So I didn't really want to bring anything down. But Babs is doing great. And Ness and Choppa still make music. And I believe Choppa was signed to Lil Wayne's label, but that was also not a great experience for him. So anyway, that is the band. You know, and this is one of the things I've noticed is just like with with Diddy, all of the seasons that he was kind of a part of, um, he drops support for people or he's like, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. Or like, it's it's very interesting to me because like, that wasn't really the case. A lot of the stuff that happened with O-Town happened, all the demise kind of happened behind the scenes, like, or after following the Making the Band um, show, whereas like everything kind of happened, or at least a big chunk of what happened in terms of what led to demises of these groups happened on the air for um, both Dub Band and Danity Kane, which I find really interesting. Danity Kane has a similar has some similar demises as um, DeBand. Obviously, they saw significant more success. Um, but more on that right now, uh, which I'm really excited to talk about Danny D. Kane, mostly because Google Docs kept trying to correct it to Dainty Kane when I was writing <laughs> everything, which just made me laugh a lot. Um, but much like their turn on making the band, they have a very dramatic lifespan as a group with people leaving and coming back to the group um, and it's just a little, um, it's sad at times because as we said earlier in this episode, this was a group of people where everyone was really talented, like equally they, they were, they fought hard for their spots and like, it is not. And unfortunately, because of the landscape that they, you know, got famous during the time they got famous, they were immediately grouped into the same bucket as the Pussycat Dolls, which is unfortunate. So after O-Town found brief success in the first iteration of making the band on ABC and after the, the band didn't really go much, you know, past its second iteration of the show on MTV, Diddy came back for a third round of making of the band, this time focused on creating an all-female group. Making the Band 3 would premiere in 2004, and in addition to Diddy, you had talent manager Johnny Wright, probably best known for being the manager at one point or another for New Kids on the Block, Backstreet Boys, Sync, Jonas Brothers, Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson, Britney Spears, and Sierra, just to name a few. You also had vocal coach Doc Holliday, who's worked with In Vogue, O-Town, BSB, Dream, Brandy, Tyrese, and Britney Spears, and choreographer Lorianne Gibson, known for being Lady Gaga's choreo collaborator. She, just to name a few of her videos that she's done choreo for, Missy Elliott, The Rain, Super Dupa Fly, Lil' Kim, No Matter What They Say, Brandy, Aphrodisiac, JoJo, Leave, Get Out, and then Lady Gaga's Poker Face, Love Game, Paparazzi, Bad Romance, Katy Perry's California Girls. Most of the videos uh, for the Lady Gaga's Telephone, Alejandro, Born This Way, Jude. I mean, it just goes on and on. She also has directed and co-directed several music videos. So 10,000 women auditioned to be a part of the group that would eventually be Danity Kane and the show. And Diddy selected 20 to be... Uh, competitors for the spots in the group. And Diddy was looking to build an international supergroup that could sing, that could dance, and had that je ne sais quoi, as, to, as he said on the show. When seven women remained, Myla, Eileen, Marty, Francesca, Andrea, Aubrey, and Malika, Diddy felt like they were not talented enough to become a band and eliminated Myla, Eileen, Marty, and Francesca. He decided to keep Andrea Fimbres, Aubrey O'Day, who would later go on to be best friends and were both found during the LA auditions and Malika Ubaka because he felt like these three deserved a second chance and brought them on for season two. During the second season, they will bring additional women to have 20 finalists again who will compete to be a part of this group. Andrea and Abria are clearly the show favorites because they are best friends and the foundation of Danny D. Kane will be built upon their friendship. But Aubrey will be the breakout star, and there would be drama between the two that would lead to tensions. Andrea, who had been a sure shot in the beginning, was struggling, and she was in on the bubble oftentimes as to whether or not she would make the final group. Ultimately, during the season two finale on November 15th, 2005, five of the 11 remaining contestants were chosen. 
Aubrey was announced first. Juanita D. Woods would get would be second from the Detroit auditions. Shannon Bex, who came from the San Francisco auditions, was third. Don Richard, fourth from the Orlando auditions. And then finally, Andrea was announced as the last member of the band, uh, which would go on to be known as Danity Kane, which was named after a female anime superhero that Don Richard had created and drawn, which I had totally forgotten about. The third season of Making the Band 3 tracked the development and struggles of the new band as they signed with Diddy's Bad Boy label with the emphasis on the tensions. They would go on to release their self-titled debut album on August 22, 2006. Diddy and Bad Boy Vice President Harve Pierre consulted a wide range of musicians to work with with the quintet, including Timbaland, Rodney Darkchild Jerkins, Mario Winans, Ryan Leslie, Scott Storch, and Jim Johnson. The album would sell over 100,000 copies in its first day of release, eventually selling 234,000 copies in its first week and hit number one on the U.S. Billboard 200 Albums chart and was certified platinum eventually. The album's follow-up, Welcome to the Dollhouse, was released March 18, 2008, and they recorded the album in under five weeks while filming the second season of Making the Band 4, because at this point, it was focused on Day 26 and Donnie Klang, which we're not going to get into on this, but just no, to... But- I have an honorable mention at the end. Oh, good, good. Excellent. It became the group's second consecutive album to debut at number one on the Billboard 200 chart and would go on to sell half a million records. They planned to start pre-production for their third studio album, which would have begun in, Janu- begun in January 2009. But during the October 2008 finale episode of Making the Band 4, Diddy removed Aubrey and Dee Woods from the group, and that would be the last time the original lineup would sync together as Dee Woods would never rejoin the group following their 2013 reunion. There had always been tensions, particularly between Diddy and Aubrey O'Day. That was a big focal point of the TV show, as I mentioned earlier. Um, And according to Don Richard in an interview, Diddy didn't like the direction Aubrey's image was going. In particular, she posed topless for a magazine. She was dressing increasingly sexier, which alienated the younger fans of the group. And eventually, Danny D. Kane and Diddy would part ways and they would be released from their bad boy contracts in 2009. And they, in 2009, January 28th, they would, in an interview with MTV News, Don would announce that the group had split up. In 2013, four of the five group members, O'Day, Bex, Richard, and Fimbres, made an official announcement that they would reunite at the 2013 MTV Video Music Awards. But on May 16th, 2014, the first night of their reunion tour in San Francisco, um, Andrea announced her departure from the group to start a family with her fiance. And then later they grew that year, the group would disband completely after a fight broke out between Aubrey and Don in the recording studio. Two months later, they would still release, despite the group being disbanded, the group would release their third album, DK3, on October of 2014. Don Richard continued to release solo music while Aubrey O'Day and Bex formed that duo, Dumb Blonde, that you were talking about earlier. And in August of 2018, the trio announced that they would reunite and tour together. Um, They would go on, Aubrey O'Day and Don Richard would release music as a duo, but using the Danity Kane name in 2020. And since March 2020, the group has been on an indefinite hiatus. I'm not going to go into too much of where are they now other than Aubrey O'Day, because there is, you know, it is kind of like the band. They haven't, most of them have not seen very much success, but Obviously, Aubrey O'Day is still the most famous member of the group. She went on to be on Celebrity Apprentice and released a somewhat successful solo album in the early 2010s. On that album, though, there is an opener titled DJT. In 2019, (laughs) she discussed her 2011 to 2012 relationship with then-married Donald Trump Jr., saying that they thought of themselves as soulmates at the time. And in 2013, Aubrey O'Day stated that DJT was based on a real conversation and was named for the man she wrote the album about. (laughs) Obviously, I am disgusted that anyone would want to have sex with that man, let alone, like, several men. uh, Or several, excuse me, let alone several women. But, yeah, that's all I really have to say about that. It's so deeply upsetting to be reminded of that. Like, I want to laugh and be like, oh, girl, why? But it's also, it's a whole, uh, no. That man looks like a fucking foot. Disgusting. Just like his his grody personality. Anyway, whatever. That it, but it also feels so right for Aubrey O'Day to do something like this. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. I don't know. Yes. Not to cast aspersions on her name, but 
Some honorable mentions as we wrap up our Making the Band episode. The fourth iteration of Making the Band was in June of 2007. It aired for three seasons and it focused on Day 26 and Donnie Klang because Diddy got into his mind that he wanted to have an all-male band that, along the lines of like 112 or like New Edition. Oh, right. So for a long time, he wouldn't even like name the band, but they would go on tour with Danity Kane under like a Making the Band tour logo. And eventually at the end of the tour, he would name them Day 26 and it would be like a whole thing on TRL and they would explain why they named them Day 26. And to be totally honest, I don't remember the explanation off the top of my head. But he also pulled out just Donnie Klang to launch its own solar career because he was like such a transcendent singer. And then we have making his band. Did he announce that he was going to search for musicians for a making the band type spinoff where essentially he'd be searching for different parts of like a, a band that plays instruments. So he was looking for guitarists, drummers, backup singers, etc., to form his own personal live band. And this new season premiered in July of 2009. And then in September of 2009, the series was placed on hiatus. And then the show eventually would return to air its last five episodes in a new Saturday time slot, reasoning that the delay in Diddy's album release and the generally low ratings of the program was why they shelved it in the first place. And then it kind of like sputtered out. But then this is the only season that won a GLAAD award. Um, I don't remember exactly why, but it did. So congrats on making his band. But that is <laughs> that is Sean P. Diddy Combs is making the band, unless there's anything more that you would like to add. No, I mean, other than I will say, like, it is wild rewatching clips from the Danny D. Kane um, portion of making the band because uh, the critiques that these girls received were insane right. um, and would not fly in 2022. <laughs> I, I, even just the short clips that I watched today, even the way that he was like speaking to these kids, because they are kids, they're like in their, you know, late teens, early yes. 20s. And the way he talks down to them is like so wild. But I, I mean, all of, I mean, several of the band members have gone on to say that like, Essentially, they took advantage of the fact that we were like young and hungry and wanted to do something. And they just completely, we let them walk all over us. And they're like, in that sense, we got a lot of great industry training. I was like, oh boy, that's tough stuff. <laughs> but I mean, I do think that, I, I think that the show's legacy is kind of like humorous to me because of the Chappelle sketch. Like there's that double-edged sword, right? It's like a lot, it's a lot like that R. Kelly sketch that sort of like extended his grace of what he might may or may not be doing behind the scenes because everyone's like, oh, ha ha ha, that crazy R. Kelly just peeing on people or whatever. Like, let's not look at like the facts because the sketch is so funny. And so, yeah, I think I hold a lot more of like a soft spot for this show because of like the Chappelle effect, which that should be, you know, another side effect of the Mandala effect, because it's like clearly watching this back. It does have its moments of just being like, wow, this really is a groundbreaking show. It's so fascinating that they decided to combine these things, but also just sort of like, and the same along, same thing goes for like America's Next Top Model, just the way the things that we like put people through in the name of like, oh, you have to earn it. Oh, you have to deserve it. It's this like hazing culture that we were all kind of a part of in the early 2000s that is when you watch it back now you're like why did we let this happen truly a different time that i'm glad we're not revisiting but again still still funny sometimes oh made for great parody spoofs like oh i mean even just the walking oh but even i i urge you to rewatch them (laughs) getting this cheesecake dropping (laughs) it i like and you you feel so bad because you're like yeah they walked and it's like winter and and their hands are frozen and they're all crying (laughs) and i mean only in new york can you get cheesecake at like two o'clock in the morning too which is also like new york is amazing but um yeah i would say even just that is like quite funny and the rap battles are really good but they are kind of crazy because you'd be like you two rap now and you're like what the fuck <laughs> it's sort of you're like constantly on edge i can't even imagine like your nervous system has like no time to relax and it's like i wonder what it would be like now and i know that they tried to have a couple of reboots in the recent past especially like pre-pandemic there was like an announcement of like this reboot but i think since then it's been indefinitely shelved like when you watch rupaul's drag race it's a much you know i wouldn't say softer show but like 
people are a little bit more understanding. They're not as like harsh on like how your where your work ethic should be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you don't want it bad enough because you won't like, I don't know, like nearly Ooh. break yourself in half to like impress someone. I will say like, you know, the RuPaul Drag Race Project Rum Rays of the World, which are competitive reality shows, there's a reason why these were the ones that ended up winning, you know, Emmys and what have you. It's because, yes, there was a, comp- a competitive edge and there were these kind of crazy moments at times, but ultimately there is a lot more understanding um, and respect for the what people have endured to get to that moment. Totally. Well, I feel like we've reached... The natural conclusion for making the band. And this is where we say thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to support us monetarily, you can find us on Patreon. Or if you want to support us emotionally, you can leave us a five-star review either on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And if you would like, if you don't already, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Old Millennials Pod. Or you can find me and Emily individually on Twitter. I am at Marge She Wrote. And I'm at Emily A. Bajan. And until next time, love you, mean it. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.